I want to thank my sponsor, Viva. Viva, thank you so much for making this show possible. Viva is here to change the game. They have electronic regulatory documents for sites for free with no commitment, no contract. I just signed up my site, Yuma Clinical Trials. No contract needed, nothing signed. They they just approve your email address and that's it. You're up and running with an electronic regulatory system, which is a great way if you haven't gotten into electronic anything yet. You need to consider it. It's it's free. Over 450 sponsors are using Viva for their backend stuff. Electronic signatures here, electronic uh, delegation of authorities log, all for free. Viva is going to keep giving sites free stuff because they're very site-centric. They they know that if they help empower the sites, even more sponsors are going to use their paid products on their end. They are the sponsors after all, so they pay for things. And they understand that making sites take control of their electronic systems is a huge first step. It's a huge commitment for sites, even for something that's free. And they're here to make it easy, and they're playing the long game. And anyways, go check it out underneath the video or the show notes below. Viva Site Vault. Thank you, Viva. Hey, Guru Nation. Welcome back to another episode. It's nice to be back. This is on YouTube. This is on podcast. This is everywhere. This is Vanessa. We're going to have you on Latinos in Clinical Research as well. But when you reached out to me on Instagram, you know, basically you were saying, hey, I'd love to give back. I've been able to be successful as an immigrant. So Vanessa is a surgeon from Venezuela, immigrated to the U.S., became a CRC, Clinical Research Coordinator, for those that don't know. Now is a Quality Assurance Director for BRCR, which is a pretty large site network and even CRO, BRCR Global, um, in the U.S. and Latin America. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. We're going to get into that, too. But I know a lot of Guru Nation is in the same situation. You know, international medical graduate. Either you are still living in another country, because a lot watch that are not living in the U.S. And they say, hey, how do I, how do I find a job? in the u.s um i don't really have good answers you know but i try to bring on guests that have done it so it's better than hearing from me my theory you hear from someone like vanesca who's actually done it so vanesca chastin she's qa director now for brcr global thanks so much for wanting to come on i really appreciate it and thanks to you for thing uh, for inviting me that's it's I guess where do we start? Well, did you ever think you would be in clinical research? No, never. <laughs> I mean, never, never in my life. Um, you know, I came to this country uh thinking about uh getting my steps done, right? Getting the you know, the my residency and everything. Uh let's just continue the medical pathway, right? Um I did some research at med school in back in Venezuela. It, it was really, really little. Not all the universities has that kind of research, like create molecules, create a, a database. So, um, so you I didn't think you would be in research, mm-hmm. but you did. You did know you were gonna be a doctor. You this much yeah. you did know. 
And why why was that? Like where did that come from? I don't know because all of my family are lawyers. All of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lawyers or accountants. So I just have um one um aunt, my uncle's wife. Uh she's the only doctor in the family actually. So and it was just I was cold for medicine. Yeah. Right? Uh, I really like the scientific uh, area. But I, I always wanted to be a uh, scientist. So uh, maybe that was what moved me, right? Um, but yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't, at that time, I didn't know I wanted to do research. Now it's my life. I, I, I got love, I mean, in love with this. But yeah, back in, Back in there, when I just started to oh, think about getting into in the medical field, I just thought about patients, and and that's it. That, that's it. So, walk me through when, like, when because you were practicing and you were a plastic surgeon in Venezuela. Yeah, um, I, I I was not a plastic surgeon. I was working with with one of them. Oh, I see. I wanted to be a plastic surgeon. Yeah. Um. In Venezuela, we graduated as a uh, surgeon because we can do some uh like simple uh procedures, I right? See. Yeah. So, but it was in that field, in plastic surgery. So I was working at that moment when I graduated. I I started working in the aesthetic and plastic surgery field. And what, Actually, that doctor was one of my mentors in life. Yeah, Dr. Jose Luis Martinez. Um, yeah. Everybody go connect, by the way, with Vanessa on her LinkedIn. It's underneath the video or in the show notes if you're listening. Absolutely must. You must connect with her. Um, okay, Vanessa, so when did you decide, you know, hey, I want to move to the United States, but I don't know what I'm going to do when I get there. How did that work? Well, uh, you, I mean, it's not a secret for everybody the situation that um, that Venezuela is going on right now. So back in 2015, when I graduated, the situation was awful in hospital. We don't have anything to give to the patients at that moment. Uh, the politics was really inside of the hospital, so everything was messed up. So uh, you know, at that moment, we didn't have like opportunity to grow. So when we complain. When Americans complain about politics here, not to get political too much, but politics or more more specifically for our industry, when Americans complain about the politics of large academic medical centers here in the U.S. or teaching hospitals, what is your reaction to this? <laughs> I love <laughs> It's nothing compared to Venezuela. Yeah. No, 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 no. You cannot in inside of the. I mean, depend of your, of your. If, for example, if you are with the government, you have to get a different treatment, like a better treatment than the other people that is not inside of the clinic. So that's. Oh, really, if you're a government um, worker, if you're a government. Yeah, and, yeah, and for example, um, in where I where when I graduated, I started working on a little town. So in that town, uh, you can see that people from that were, I mean, they want the government or the people that from the government, they wanted to get into the clinic and just uh, 
give you like rules. For example, hey, you have to give me this antibiotic or you have to take my uncle to this room or you have to do this or that. So you, I mean, they want to, to tell you what to do. So how right? would the patients, so, how would the patients even know what they should get? Is <laughs> just somebody told them or? It was, it was crazy. And also the blackouts. So when it was wow. in that in that part, I had eight hours blackouts. So four in the morning and maybe four other when it was on the twenty four hour shift. Uh wow. four more hours during the early morning. So people from the government want us to uh, get them treat or or attend them during that um that time with the blackouts and we couldn't. How can we do with you know no lights, anything in there? So yeah, it was it was pretty complicated at that time. And just to put For a me, time just to put a timeline on all this, so this was around 2016, 2017 yeah, when that occurred. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh okay. Now so what so obviously the from what I hear, the motivation came basically because Venezuela's entire system's falling apart basically, and you said, hey, there's got to be better opportunity. A lot of Latinos go to Miami, go to Florida. Did you did <laughs> yeah. you know about it already? Like, did you have you ever been there? Or did you have a support system there? Why did you choose Miami? Yeah, well, um, always that happened before when you were, I mean, when, when I was studying study medicine, you came here after you graduate, study some fellowship or something, and then get back to your country. That was a good pathway to follow in there. So that's what I was thinking. But after graduation and after all those things that I had to get through um, because of the political situations in there, <clears throat> I decided just to move around. So, yeah, uh, um, I got supported here. My father and my mother gave me everything. So I came migrated here, and I came here with a... Um, student visa. So I started at Kaplan, um, studying my, you know, preparing for my steps. Right. Mm, okay. So I started there uh, for seven months only because then I had to start working. Right. So because so, of the international medical graduate, because I'm going to ask here a little bit more detail because a lot of people watching of are, are in this situation. So because you were already a doctor, you were able to go the student visa route. Was that an easy process or relatively simple or was it very difficult? It was a very simple process. I just applied uh, for the, uh, the university or the college, okay? And then give you a, an, an I-20, it's called I-20, okay, it's a form that gives you the status here in US, okay? And with that I-20, you uh, apply for that visa appointment, for a student visa appointment. So you just follow the instructions there. And I get to my appointment. My my visa was approved. And that's it. I know sometimes it's a little bit difficult because, I mean, it was back in 2016. So I remember that people that was in front of me got rejected. But because Doctors my, as well? Not doctors. They they were for uh there for English, I but see. because mine yeah mine was specific for medicine, and I had a pathway to get into the medical system here. 
that was different from their one. So did you have to create this pathway before you applied or it was just obvious to everybody yeah. that's what it was just obvious, yeah. I see. So definitely advantage if you're a doctor in another country. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And if, if anyone that would like to apply for a student visa, it will be better to just apply something related to their career. Something related, for example, I'm a doctor, so I apply for, I, I went to a college to get the pre preparation for my steps. Right? I, I don't know if you are, I don't know, maybe business administration or something, something yeah. related to your career. Those steps are hard. Have you taken the test? <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> I remember my because... dad told me about this because he's a foreign doctor from Romania as well. But we he didn't come on a student visa. He came on a uh because the communist was you know there was like a revolution so we came on a um visitor visa and then we never left because the revolution started happening in Romania i was only 3 years old um but he then started taking his test for the steps but it took him maybe another 10 years to get his stat like ECFMG and all that because he had to get a job physical therapist and he had to work his way to study and all that. It took about 10, 10 to 12 years. He didn't become a doctor until I was like 16 in high school. So from three until like 15 or 16, that's when he became U.S. equivalent doctor. So it took it was not an easy steps um, for him. And I remember him telling me they make these ECFMG so much harder, you know, than than the regular uh med school test because it's just like almost impossible but he did it i think he did it on the first time i have to ask him but all i remember is it's extremely stressful extremely difficult to pass yeah, <laughs> yeah and the thing that i i met research so that you met research when did you meet research so when in this process you were here you were studying your steps probably stressing yeah. out Yep. <laughs> no, no income, or did you have a job, or? No, I did not. Okay. The income, the income came from my parents. That can't be easy. <laughs> yeah, it can't so be easy in like, Miami. Miami is expensive too. Yeah, and nowadays, oh my god, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> so, how did you meet research? What happened? Yeah. So, destiny. So. Um, I went with my uh, uncle visiting some of uh, his relatives. I I didn't want it at that time. I, oh my God, no, please. I don't want to go and say, hey, come, please. So in that reunion, I met someone that owns a research site. In Miami? Yeah, actually, the uh, BRCR Globals uh, owner. Ah, okay, okay. So um, uh, what, her wife, uh, his wife was there. She was... Uh, um, even food to the baby, referring the baby, and I saw that the technique was not the correct one. So I just walked through and I said, hey, can I teach you how to refeed the baby? And she said, oh, yeah, what do you do? And I started talking with her like, no, well, I'm a doctor. I'm from Venezuela, so I'm here studying for myself. And then she said, have you heard about research? And I said, mm, well, I just explained to her what I did in the, in the, school, in the med school. And then um, the owner of BRCR told me, um, hey, I own this. So this is what we do. Do you think you can do this? And I said, of course. So they, he asked me to identify patients. 
that's what we do. Yeah, pre-screen. So, as a site owner myself, you are extremely desirable as an international medical graduate. The hard part is convincing someone. So here I'm in a border town near Mexico, and there are IMGs that are Mexican licensed, but they work here in the United States as medical assistants, CNA. My The hard part for me is try to convince them like, hey, I know you want to try to take your steps and all this, but let's consider clinical research. And most don't. Most are stubborn or, you know, they still want to go down the pathway and they think, okay, this is just a distraction for me. Like, I, yeah, it's research, but it's weird. It's going to distract me from what I'm doing. I'd rather just be an MA, CNA and study to be, you know, hopefully pass. Everyone thinks they're going to pass when the odds are really against you. Like, in, it's not in your favor that you're going to pass. And how many times are you going to keep applying for the ECFMG? So you probably had the foresight enough or why was it such an easy was it because it was like relatives telling you this or and not a stranger um i don't know i mean it was a stranger for me that that person wasn't a stranger for me at that moment hmm. uh maybe it's because i said yes i never said no to any opportunity so you're open-minded so, yeah totally uh when he asked me uh so when I'm looking someone to help me recruit patients, so I need someone who can identify um, patients. And I say, okay, I can do that. Even even if never in my life. <laughs> I I did it before in that way. I know that I can, mm-hmm. I mean, I know how to read uh, medical history. I know how to read blood tests. I know how to read uh, the diagnosis of the patient. So, I don't. I didn't see so, why I couldn't do that that job. So you never thought, hey, you know what? I'm a doctor. This sounds like a low level task. Why I'm not gonna do this? No, never, never. Because it was an opportunity for me here to open a path. So even though I wanted to do my uh, steps uh, at that moment, um, I know that was an opportunity for me to to learn about the the healthcare system in here. That's totally different from from Latin America. Mm-hmm. Uh, to learn more about you know everything in here that's so different. To have that um, approach to doctors to patients. That in Florida, I mean in Florida we have everything kind of patient like <laughs> everyone from everywhere in the world, right? Mm-hmm. But everyone is different so you have those approaches are really important in the set as well so but research is so huge so, big. so you, and you then can... once they offered you this role i mean mm-hmm. did you accept like right away or the same day or you had to go back and google what this is what's research no, i say yes i didn't thought about <laughs> it I say, yes uh who i have to call or where I should go, and he said, "Okay, now uh, call this person." And I remember that was in November, December, something like that. So I call this person, and he will he will interview interview you. And I said, "Okay." So I called that person like I don't know how many times. Wow. And then they called me back, and I started in January of January of twenty eighteen. 2018 yeah yeah 
And now you're a QA director at the site, Quality Assurance. Fast forward yeah. five years later, right? More or less. Yeah. Um, so you, how long did the patient recruitment pre-screening last for you before you became CRC? It was pretty fast. So I. That's what I tell point. people. That's yeah, what yeah. I tell people. A lot of people are worried. Oh, well, I can do more than just recruit and call patients. Like I, I want to be a coordinator. They don't know that that's how you start. And it happens quickly if you're somebody that the company wants to promote. Exactly. I think it was two months or three months, something like that. It was pretty, pretty quick. Um, I just started looking around for patients, talking with the doctors, having that experience inside the clinic. Mm. And they told me, hey, would you like to be a coordinator? I said, of course. And doctors <laughs> course, love yeah. you. Doctors love to have IMGs as coordinators because you are a doctor. I mean, I know we had a few employees that were IMGs in the past and the doctors would they're they're respectful to all of our coordinators, but they would treat the IMGs like a little bit differently. Like they would actually yeah. have higher level conversations with them about the labs, for example, um, or the ECG. Like they would, you know, and then the other coordinators would look at them like, oh, I don't understand this. But, you know, there's a difference with the IMG that even the PIs recognize. Yeah, it's like the communication is a little bit different. So I remember the doctor said, hey, what I should do? What do you suggest? Or what do you think about this? Do you think maybe it can be this diagnosis or maybe the other one? So we can have those type of conversations in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what kind of studies were you working on? Well, I started in a pulmonologist trial. Ah, okay. That's where I started recruiting for patients in there and then I went all go through oncology. So you guys so you were doing pulmonology and then oncology. Yeah, but now oncologist I can say the eighty percent of the operations in here is oncology. Right now, oncology. Wow. That's rare for a community based clinic. Um, usually, I mean, sponsors love sites that are not affiliated with teaching hospitals or universities that can do oncology because they know it's so much red tape around these academic medical centers and these teaching hospitals or even like not teaching hospitals with oncology. So if you're a private community-based clinic the sponsors love you because you're able to move quickly as long as your quality is there. And that's your new role, quality assurance director. We'll get into that. I want to get into that, but so now it's 80% of the studies is oncology at this site. Yeah. And how, what's the setup like? Is it a private practice of oncologists and then you guys do research there? Or you just recruit from the community. How does it work? So uh, for oncology, yeah, we work with the private practice of the doctors. Okay. Within, well, you guys are embedded inside the private practice? We're in front. So we're crossing just hole from the private practice. We are our uh, own okay. site where uh, all the administrative tasks take place. I see. And that makes it easy to recruit. You know, I'm trying yeah. in, here in Yuma. I got to talk to you to BizDev more because... In Yuma, here I do, Yuma, Arizona, I do 
Um, I have an internal medicine, I have a dermatologist, and I have a psychiatrist and neurologist. So I'm able to get those kind of study. Like we have diabetes, obesity, osteoarthritis. The demographic actually very similar to Florida. There's a little bit of elderly because of the weather. It's always warm here. So we have a lot of OA of the knee. Um, unfortunately, because of the diet, which is everywhere now, there's a lot of obesity, diabetes, a lot of comorbidities. We have a lot of derm patients too because of the sun. There's a lot of dermatology studies and then CNS and psych, just like anywhere. Um, but oncology, I'm trying to get, there's only one group here in Yuma that's not affiliated with the hospital. So there's a big hospital in the city that owns maybe 50% of all the private practices. It's a huge monopoly. But there's only one practice that does oncology that's not affiliated with the hospital that does oncology. And I'm trying to get them to do research, but I've been busy. I've only been here two years, so I've been having issues. But I know, I know based on what you're telling me too, like now you guys, 80% is oncology. The demand is there. So I just have to get to find the owners. The owner lives in two hours away. That's the problem. Oh, yeah. so i have to drive yeah. two hours to find this guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah then now, now the thing with oncology is very specific so you're looking for mutations or target therapy mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah they have community radiologists and uh they break it down into different niches the, but they have the whole group there like every they have everything so i just need to find the problem is when i've been going to the practice to let them know about research. The decision makers are never there. The other oncologists that are there are just employees. So they don't know, you know, they don't want to talk to me. They say, you got to talk to the owner, but this guy lives in Scottsdale, which is three hours away. I got, I got to go find him, but it's enough motivation just talking to you to make me want to pursue that, which is why I like interviewing guests too, because not only it helps Guru Nation, but it helps me as well. Uh, <laughs> Motivate, motivate myself. <laughs> so oncology is different because you in medical school, I mean, you know, you came out as a like in surgery, right? So you didn't really specialize in oncology. How did that work as far as what was, I know, man, like the doctors I work with now, the internal medicine, I mean, they don't know much about oncology. It's like, how was it? Do you see it as a challenge? Do you enjoy learning these new indications? I really enjoyed it. And the things that our doctors in here are, are also professors. So we, they always have fellows in here. Wow. So they like us to teach us. Also Where do they teach they know, you? University we, of Miami? No, they, um, no, they're, uh, they're uh, affiliated with one of the hospitals nearby. So okay. they just receive the fellows. Yeah. Wow. So you're surrounded by these guys and gals and. You get to ask them questions. Are you like kind of reading like all the latest papers and all that, or do you do you get into the science at all right now? Well, um, I always receive the newsletter from the sponsors. So in LinkedIn, I'm also uh, aware of what's happening, the new approval, the new medications, what's happening right now with vaccines is incredible. Cancer vaccines, so, right? Yeah, cancer vaccine, and yeah. also with the virus vaccine, amazing. So. Yeah. So that, I mean, you must love doing this because that's one of the things I think 
is amazing about our industry, clinical research, is you, you'll never stop learning. Um, like, I was pre-med student, but I never made it all the way. So, so I'm not a I'm not a doctor, but I did all the undergraduate requirements. So I always like had a interest in science, but when I got busy doing clinical research, I started focusing on the operations, the QA, managing employees, marketing. It's only been recently, like these last three years, that I started getting back into the science. So you you can always challenge yourself in this industry because. Okay, you mastered the operations. Okay, that's fine. What about managing employees? Okay, you kind of get good at that. Well, what's next? Well, what about science? I mean, every study is a different mechanism of action. You'll never know it all because there's always something new. So it's it's never boring. This is what I try to tell people, especially IMGs, but it's really hard to communicate this to to them sometimes. So QA, how long until you became you went from CRC to quality assurance? Um, it was three years, two to three, three years. years. Yeah. So somebody was nurturing you from management ownership. They said, "Look, this yeah. this Vanessa lady, she's different. You know, I think <laughs> we need." Do you think there was like a fear that? A lot of side owners, especially when someone educated, like IMG, you can't be more educated, I don't think. Somebody like the natural pathway is CRC to CRA for a lot of people. Because let's face it, CRC, you're going to reach a maximum on your salary for that site because it's a small site. Even the big ones are small compared to the CRO. Yes. So do you think that was like did you ever want to be a CRA? Were you ever exploring that pathway? Yeah. Uh, after a while in the, like being a CRC. So I had a lot of communication with my CRAs. So also with the medical monitors. Oh, so with the were, medical monitors. That's yeah. right. So I was always like, like that. Like I wanted to talk to everybody. So I have all of my medical monitors of my, of my president from the pharma telephone number. So I called them, hey, I need this. So that involvement within the within uh, the industry gave me a lot of uh, like options to see and also a lot of knowledge. And you still have people. options. You still have options. Yeah. yeah. That's the beautiful thing about this, <clears throat> especially when you start backing it up with degrees and education like you become highly desirable to the CROs and the sponsors and maybe that's something I mean you're young and you're just starting out but you seem to be in a good place right now and you sh kudos to your employer for knowing this like a lot of these employers they think that oh well this lady's never gonna leave so let's just keep her a coordinator forever and you guys the employers myself included you have to work to keep your the good employees with you because the industry is competitive, super is. <laughs> competitive. So why would your CRC, who's an IMG, not want to be a CRA or a, or a medical monitor? Well, you got to give her options at your place.
And in your case, they did. So I don't know who owns BRCR. Maybe I should interview them. But they know what they're doing, at least with you. <laughs> at least with you. So hats off to them. So what do you do as far as... um? So the offer was good, attractive enough to where you're like, you know what, I want to... Was it... What made you not want to be a CRA? Was it like you don't want to travel, you don't want to do all that right now, or what was it? Yeah, uh, well, um, I love to travel, but the thing is that, uh, that I brought my dog from Venezuela, so I cannot leave her around That's him. important okay, part so. of the story. That's important. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so, so. Um, this is a new opportunity. I've been growing here. I know uh, because also it became a CRO as well. So I ah. knew that I will have that opportunity in there. So uh, I'm having CROs. Uh, I'm having CRO experience in a row. Uh, good point. Good point. Because you guys are, yeah, the owners of BRC are uh, smart. I can tell. I don't know them, but I can tell. <laughs> I, if you want, like, please, I would love an introduction for the podcast to you because we can talk different side. Of, they're, they're doing what I think is the right thing to do to expand your site. Um, so QA, what do you guys do? What do you do specifically? Do you guys do like paper source? Are you electronic source? Have you tried Viva for E-Reg? It's free if you haven't. Shout out to the sponsor, sites.viva.com. Tell me a little bit about the operations. Like, um... okay. Yeah, so uh, we do paper source. Okay. Uh, and basically, in the QA part, what we do is regularly uh, add it to our own studies. So we follow some procedures in here. Uh, we know that quality, uh, the data, the quality of the data is most important for the sponsors so that, but we try to keep them always. Uh, so we are always on top of every single procedure that is done by our CRCs in here. We perform uh, regularly added to our own sites. Uh, we are in there with the CRC always, like if they have any questions, so if they have any doubts, so if, um, you're gonna go through the screening when you are ready to do it, or let me do it. Uh, let me explain you. So I never let them alone until I know they are they are uh, ready. Like I mean, you will be you will have mistakes in the in the mm -hmm. you know, in the way that's that's normal. But <clears throat> I like them to be at least sure what they're doing. But if you yeah. have any doubts, just go in and and ask. So that's it. Don't keep like, okay, what I'm going to do? I don't know what to do. I'm going to keep it in this way or let's do whatever I think it is. So no, just ask because we, we are in here, right? So um, how many employees do you manage uh, right now? <laughs> well, uh, more than 20. More than 20 that report to you directly. Yeah. And... See, this interview is amazing. You have a little bit more time. This is yeah, <laughs> because now we can talk about what you look for in the candidates and how you retain them. Miami's competitive. It's it, it, Miami's <laughs> the research site capital of the world. There's a site every corner. We have clients, Chris and I, that 
I mean, every week is somebody in Miami wants to open a clinic, a research clinic. And it also developed like a bad reputation, which is unfair for the good sites, which it sounds like you guys are. I mean, you don't do oncology if you're not a good site. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Oncology is <laughs> not one where you can survive if you're not a good site. Uh, so are you guys short-staffed right now? Are you having a problem getting employees? Or are you properly staffed? So uh, we had some of our oldest coordinator that left the hospital, right? And another one's to a CRO to become a CRA, but it's okay. They had already here uh, three years. So we will leave See, the CRC to CRA. It's a, yeah. yeah, it's not a problem, but for site owner, you have to pay attention. Don't put yeah. your head in the sand like an ostrich. You gotta know what's yeah. going on. Yeah, and right now we are fine. I mean, because uh, I I don't know right now, but some people are afraid of research, like you said, with the 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 doctor from another country. It's like, oh no, they're gonna this is gonna don't to distract distract me. But it's not actually. I have three friends that they match. They just match, and they are right now clinical research coordinator and i believe they help this help them as well to 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 go through i mean to share that experience in, during their interviews right mm. so uh with with the stuff we're okay i mean we're always looking for um this is i don't know if we've seen all the sites but in our site uh we always like the people to have a medical background and in miami it's not difficult to do right you have it's IMGs. not difficult how many IMGs from these 20 people that you manage? How many so, are IMGs, do you think? Um, Around 10. Wow. So yeah, half of 10. them. Half of them are IMGs. Yeah, this is a great team you got. The problem mm -hmm. is keeping them. Um, yeah. <laughs> But if you guys grow enough and the fact that you're a CRO as well as a site should provide enough opportunities for all those that want to grow within the site and within the company because it's a site yeah. and a CRO. Uh, do you guys do any phase one healthy volunteer? Yeah. You do phase one as well. See, so you guys, yeah. that's where it makes sense also to be a site and a CRO on the phase one. Because you get approached by all these early stage biotech companies and they often don't have the resources. And if you can do the site and the CRO at the same time, you know, that's that blueprint has been established already. Um, that's a really good uh, opportunity you guys have for you're going to have so many people reaching out to you in Miami. That's uh, um, yeah, we do. <laughs> do you are you familiar with that uh, care access that? fiasco that just happened with that Lyme no. disease well anyways yeah. there's this there was this company nationwide called care access and I don't know I mean they they kind of screwed up one study a Lyme disease and Pfizer can't use the data they had like 50% of the patients on under this company and a lot of the staff is like wanting to leave and there there's a, a lot actually that have reached out to me in Miami that are wow. looking for new jobs so Miami is like an interesting place because it has the infrastructure it has the education um it has great employees candidates 
Um, and then what? What about um, Ereg? What? How come you guys are paper? Are you guys considering like uh, moving to Ereg? Like someone like Viva? It's free. Um, well, we have we've always worked in this way, uh, and we use doctor's EMR, so we send just a, the certified copies to a source document. Mm -hmm. We don't. I mean, we didn't. We don't have the like the necessity to to migrate yeah. an electronic source, and and also the sponsor have the obligation to show their um. Access, to the yeah. EMR, access to the EMR, so they will see what that about, the, the data is. What about regulatory, though? Like your investigator site files. That's like an easier thing to switch. You know, I'm asking because a lot of people watching are tech vendors. Mm -hmm. And they just assume every site wants electronic system. And it's not true. I'm trying to no. figure out why, for you guys, <laughs> it's still easier to just use paper. It's easy. Uh, for regulatory, we had some sponsors that required us to use electronic um, mm. paper. So we just keep it in a cloud base. Mm -hmm. It can be ours. We use Dropbox or uh, their cloud base uh, system. But yeah, we, we like we like the, that. We like the paper. We like, I don't know, doctors can <laughs> see that. You know, you make sure doctor can read this. Doctor, you will have this on hand. Ah, yeah, so, so it comes down to because a lot of the e-regulatory e depends on digital signatures. I mean, you can do like print and sign by paper and then upload like to Viva. But the real benefit is email something to this doctor or this coordinator and they just click and sign. And then electronic delegation of authority log is kind of a game changer to me. We use eSource, eReg. I haven't even used electronic delegation yet. We're planning on doing it for an upcoming study. But, you know, a lot of this stuff is scary, especially when you have, what, how many studies do you guys have roughly right now? I can tell you we have just an oncology, like 66 trials. So that's scary, you know, to switch all that. My advice would be yeah. if you ever considering <laughs> start with one study just as an experiment with your most digital friendly PI and just see how it goes. You might be surprised and it's free. Like I was scared of all this stuff too. We don't have 60 studies. We only have like eight, but it's, it's yeah, we were a lot easier it. once you start using it. Yeah. We were thinking about with the, the internal medicine trials. Because of all these crazy things. Oncology is nuts. But crazy thing about oncology is it's probably the most benefit for oncology because of all the SUSARs and like those yeah, fight those investigator site files are so massive just in physical it's makes the most sense to digitize those. But yeah, yeah I think I that, that SUSARs are dig uh, digital. So oh, okay. those are yeah, those are digitals. Yeah, you're already halfway there. You just gotta do the rest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're like we have like do, do both of them. So yeah, we could both. Yeah, I just wanted to get other people's perspective because you know these a lot of vendors in our industry they they assume every site loves digital and it's not the case. Like once you get used to paper and paper source, paper regulatory, that's how you're gonna be. So this is why even if it's free. 
sites.viva.com. Shout out to our sponsor. It's going to take a while to get people to convert. Yeah. We use Viva for uh, source data verifications to remote monitoring visits. Ah, but, okay. But that's it. <laughs> what? What's the most difficult part about being QA, quality assurance? <sighs> well, I think uh, if I'm one of the base of the site or the organization, because without quality, a lot of things can just go down. So in quality, you just not take care of, of in my case, I don't I just don't uh, just view the quality I also manage. So yeah, <clears throat> yeah so um, I think the most difficult maybe is that have have that uh, all that all the organization in your shoulders, like if you don't do your job good, so, all of us will be screwed up, like everybody. Yeah. So, yeah. How do you communicate that to your staff? Because I only have three coordinators right now that I manage. My wife helps me. My nurse practitioner, business partner helps me. But even with three coordinators and eight studies, it's still not easy. Like, you know, whenever, and they're all new. So when they make a mistake, even if it's small, I have to retrain. You have to be on top of it. You can never like take it easy as a director, as a manager. So how do you do it with twenty and like sixty six studies or however many you have? Like how how are you actually able to do it, especially when it's all paper? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, we do have a CTMF, CTMF. So ah, okay, okay. So we use yeah, we can see there. We have that tracker of. Since when we since we received the feasibility uh, questionnaire mm -hmm. and everything, so I have to be copying every single communication of everyone in here, so I can I can read my email. I can tell you that uh, if I don't read an email one day, the next day we have three hundred emails. <laughs> it's crazy, but uh, it's it's the way I do it. So to be on top of everything, yeah. Why so what in the CTMF I can say okay, okay so. This study is closed and the enrollment is closed, or this study will be the close of this. You were enrolling in this, or how many patients we need to to get enrolled in the trial. So also we do a weekly calls with the different teams. Are you um, in the office every day, or do you work from home? Every sometime? day. Every day. Every day. I'm in the office every day. Uh, I'm also in communication with the doctors in here. Um. Uh. We have another uh, man manager. She helped me with uh, the other sites in Texas and Puerto Rico. So you she guys have Texas sites. sites and Puerto I knew you had Latin America sites, but I didn't know about Texas. Wow. Yeah. So she managed. Oh, she she take care of that of the managing of those sites, mm -hmm. and I do the quality. But uh, but yeah, we. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a teamwork. You can not do this by yourself. Never, no. even if you are in the top of every everyone or in the top of the the pyramid, uh, you cannot. You cannot it's impossible. Do by your, it's impossible. You need even to with my people. Even with my eight studies, and I have seventeen years 
maybe eight. Now I have 18 years of experience in research. That's crazy. But even with my eight studies, three coordinators, 18 years of experience, there's no way. Every protocol is like you're brand new. Like you have to learn the protocol. I was going to ask you like how without delegating, there's no way you can you can properly manage this stuff. So you do you assign like one coordinator to be the lead for do you assign a responsibility like per study and then you yeah. hold that coordinator accountable to this protocol or how does yeah. that work? So um, I assign uh, studies for each coordinator, like lead clinical research coordinator. And you can right? decide, you personally can decide who's going to do what. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to decide uh, which study is going to get each coordinator. Uh, also based on uh, what they they liked, I like to know why my what my people like. Because there are some coordinators that they like to do urology. So I look for those try to give them to them because I know they're going to give me the best because they like what they're doing, right? Um, if I give a coordinator, for example, this coordinator doesn't like at all hematology, and I give that coordinator hematology trials, even if I have the solid tumor trial, that coordinator won't be motivated to work. So I need every single coordinator to be motivated to work. So always uh, I tell everyone, listen, your, your, um, your colleagues, listen what they have to do. Because you have to work with that too. It's not only what you have in mind. It's also like put everything together. You have to mm -hmm. listen to them. What are their needs? And try to have every single person uh, under your your like guidance to be motivated. Because yeah. it's, in this in this uh, field, if you're not motivated, I mean you're gonna you're not gonna have patience. You're not gonna have quality. Your uh, data entry will be past you and past you and past you. <laughs> the queries will be in there more than 100 days. And yeah. That's a bad thing. All those it's things bad are bad thing. things. How mm -hmm. do you deal with, because <clears throat> I've, I've only managed, like the most I've ever managed at one time, as far as human beings are concerned, is uh, six, maybe seven, not including PIs, just coordinators. Even in a, like a, that's still a small site, right? Even in a small site, you'll have coordinators complaining to you about someone else not doing their job. And then you always have to figure out, is this like valid or is this just, they don't like this person? It's like, almost like you have to do psychology in a way to know yeah. your staff. <laughs> mm -hmm. How do you do that? Well, well. I think females do a better uh, job at this too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I try to, as I tell you, I try to listen to everyone. So when they come setting me, I had a, I had a, like a few weeks ago, an issue with one of the coordinators that uh, she didn't, she did, the coordinator told me, no, she doesn't want to work. She doesn't do to do this or to do that. And I said, okay, let's do something. I'm going to, so I gave her jobs. And I gave her timelines, right? You gave the one so, that was complaining or the other one? The other one to see okay. if the issue was personal or something, or if the issue was real. So okay. indeed, the coordinator didn't uh, achieve any timeline, didn't achieve any goals that I gave it to her. So um, I knew there was a problem, not with the people complaining, but with the I other see. one. I see. So I knew that was real. 
uh, also I always do meetings with all of them like uh, okay why this is not complete what is happening are you born of work because I know sometimes uh, how we often get bored. are those meetings that you do like impromptu it's weekly 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 meetings like yes one on weekly one meetings or you do with the, like small teams we do the small uh, the small teams with the coordinators okay okay and if they have the one on one is for example if they want to complain about directly with from I mean with another uh, co-worker like hey these people oh this person it happens a lot it happens it a happens lot a lot but I say okay don't worry I'll manage it just keep doing your work and then I I do what I I know what to do like like put timelines or do this or milestones So giving the, so if someone complains to you about someone else, you discreetly, you're able to do it discreetly. You go to the other person they're complaining about and you give them, you basically test them to see if it's true or not. You probe, you, you do like your own clinical trial basically to confirm this person, you know, is, is there really an issue or not? So what happens when you find out there's not really an issue? It's just like personal thing going on. What do you do then? I talk to both at the same time. And I said, what's happening? We're co-workers in here. Okay. So remember, we are, we are a team. Mm -hmm. So I try to understand from both sides why it's happening. Right. And we, we both, both of them in, in there because I like to be clear with my team. Like, I don't want, I don't like like gossips and everything in there, even though I know that those happens, but I don't want them to be an obstacle in my team okay everybody here needs to to work as a team help each other okay for example what i really like uh from the team is like if one of the uh, coordinators can get it to work or whatever in just that minute everybody knows what they have to do i see so because everybody is involved like in some way they know they know each patient they know uh, we have a visibility in, in the cycle the patient is and everything. So everybody's aware what's happening in the site. Do you find, I think with 20 people, it's difficult, but even with three or eight, it's difficult. But do you try to find what motivates each one individually? Because it's not the same. Um, you know, I used to assume everybody's motivated like I am. So I just managed everyone as if they were me and it doesn't work because everyone has different motivations, different desires. How do you do that with 20 people? Like, do you try to figure out or do you have like, do you have category of people like in your head, this person's in this category, this one's in this one? Yeah. So um, what I do is talk to them and I want I want them to let me know what they like. Mm -hmm. Okay. So here the coordinators don't uh deal with regulatory like we have a regulatory specialist. Ah, okay. Right? But they have to be communicated all the time. Like yeah. as a team. Yeah. So for example, um my team, I'm open, I'm open communication all the time. I just have open communication with them. Uh, I, yesterday I just assigned new studies and one of the coordinators told me, hey, I would like to have this kind of a study. Do you think it's possible? And I said, of course, yes, let's let's see what we can do. 
um, based on your necessities. So I know here everyone what they like. Um, uh, one of the of the coordinators told me, "Hey, you gave me this. It has because we just have a um a coordinator that left the trial, mm-hmm. and she left the the company, and there were some um queries in there." Hey, you gave me these. How many queries do you have? And I say, okay, let's work together. Besides the queries, do you have any problem with the study? And she said, no, just the queries. Okay, let's work on the queries. Let me know what I can do to help you. Let me know if someone else can help you. Let me know what do you need. So it's based on the needs of the of my staff. Um, yeah. Of course, uh, that match, uh, our like um number of studies or type of study because. Maybe you will have just only hematology studies one one time, right? And you don't have yeah. any solid tumors. So what what what's gonna happen with the people that doesn't like uh, don't like uh, hematology trial? So let's do it together. Mm-hmm. Give it a chance. Let's see. Okay, and go with the flow. <laughs> I also notice certain PIs prefer certain coordinator, and it's not the same one for every PI. And so I try to figure that out and assign based on who the PI like and who the coordinator likes. But really it's who the PI prefers cuz it's like it's weird because sometimes a PI likes this coordinator but another PI likes the other one. So they don't yeah. all like the same one. So that's it's a complicated thing to manage these studies. No, yeah, it's it's, it's difficult that part but here the PIs have uh, the PIs have um communication with all the coordinators so um i don't know we have the coordinators in here they can be the five coordinators with the same pi different studies so in that way you your pis can see okay i have all these Mm things working with me it's not only one coordinator and one study it's the whole team i guess so for example mm -hmm. oh sorry sorry to cut you off don't worry I, I was going to say the last, I don't want to hold you all day. I mean, we'll probably have to, <laughs> we're going to have to have you on Latinas in clinical research too. And maybe we'll have Monica do like a English and Spanish. We'll have multiple, but how do you deal? Maybe you don't have this problem at a, a, a study or a site with 60 something studies, but like my site's relatively new. It's only a year and a half, maybe two years now. Um, so we have, I overhire because I rather have more staff than less. But there, we have periods in, be, especially in between studies, where right now, for example, in the next month, we only have two studies that, and they're difficult to enroll. So we have to wait a month until we get busy again with when we have these two easier studies starting. So I have like these periods of a lot of work. And then not that much work. I don't know if that's the case in a site with sixty-six studies. Is that how do you it's manage same. that? It's the same. It's a roller coaster. It's a roller coaster. Every year is a roller coaster. In January we're in here, and then the second quarter of the year we're here. And so what do you do back. during the downtimes? Because right now what I've been doing during the downtimes to save money is telling the staff, "Hey, you know, let's just do like part time for now. We're small enough to where." They don't care too much as long as it's not that long. Like, hey, for the next few weeks, let's just do part time until we get busy. How do you do? How do you manage that with twenty people? Um, the downtimes, like, what do you have them do? Well, in oncology, 
if you have a patient in oncology, it will get there. It will be in there like more than two years or more than three years. Mm -hmm. So you have someone to take care of the patients in there. So I don't know, maybe because you're saying it's, it's new and mm -hmm. this one has more than 12 years now, uh, yeah. the operations are different, right? So even though you are not recruiting so much patient, you have administrative stuff going on. Yeah. Because even though you're opening, when you're closing two trials, but you're opening five more. So mm -hmm. you cannot rid of the people that is in there because there are trials coming. And then when those trials came, that is, I, I can tell you, I don't know, six weeks of startups until the SIV, six to mm -hmm. eight weeks. So what are you going to do? Start so up. In, so it's like, okay, I'm going to look for new people or what I'm going to do. So mm -hmm. we keep the, our coordinators in here. And in that, in that as when we don't have too many uh, patients, new patients, we do education or educational uh, meetings. For right? the staff. So for the staff. So what do you, the what same are you staff, they, so they, each, each coordinator prepare a presentation on their trials. Ah, on the new study that are not yet started? New study, yeah, on the new studies ah. or the, the, the new ones that we know we can have patients. So we do You're that. giving me ideas. My staff's going to hate you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really important to have your your staff educated in all the mm -hmm. other trials because if one of the coordinators just, I don't know, I have to go, okay, so the new, the new people or the, the coordinators need to learn and you start from zero, no. So what do you have them do? You have them present like a PowerPoint to all the staff yeah, about their study? Yeah, PowerPoint. Also, we have business development. This is genius. Who started, Who came up with this idea? You? Uh, me and my co-worker. We are two. Her name is Victoria. She also uh, helped me with all this managing. Uh, she's very organized. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not that organized <laughs> as she, but she's very organized. She helped me also with. All, all of that. Uh, I love this. Lighting, I love this. Because yeah. even if you only have three staff, like I have three staff right now, we have at the moment two studies we can enroll for and two more starting. At least two more starting. There might be five more starting. So I can have each of them present. Well, and that's how you guarantee that they're going to know the protocol really well. And then they can do things like yeah revise the source and yeah this is good I yeah like this. and and just and just be prepared for the trials uh mm -hmm. for example in in that down because i call it the roller coaster yeah i made a presentation to my team like how to approach patients how to approach pis because you have to to i i like my coordinators to communicate in the same way with the pi and with the patients like for example um how we identify patients, that's how it started in here. Mm -hmm. So you don't wait for your PI to give you a patient. You have to get that initiative. Give us that initiative. Okay, I'm going to look for patients. You have access to the EMR so you can look for, for potential patients. Talk with your doctor about potential patients. In oncology, patients um, are not eligible like, like this. Mm -hmm. But you will have a list of patients like, okay, this patient, there is one line of treatment that needs to get this patient in order to be... Uh, um, eligible for the trial so in like those a cheat moments, sheet 
like making a cheat sheet basically yeah so yeah like yeah so you you in those times when you don't have patients like coming around so you just prepare your team see patients what, what can be involved in three months but you're following that that's so, beautiful so. Vanessa. this is amazing <laughs> so <Thank> that <laughs> that's one of the reason i do these podcasts not just for guru nation but it's for me too I like to pick your brain and figure out what you're doing we gotta do more i know you gotta go back so we could wrap it up but look obviously you guys need to go follow vanesca her linkedin's underneath this video if you're listening thank you it's in the show notes go connect right it doesn't matter if you're a job seeker or a sponsor or a site owner and just want to network can we get you guys at our conference next year february 2nd in sites save our sites it's called save our sites conference in february 2nd in arizona okay, i'm gonna send you the link if you want to go just come of course i will <laughs> okay all right we already have 250 people coming so we might have like between 800 to a thousand okay. all right Th thank you vanessa anything else you want to oh, say or are you going to save it for part two and part three no, we can say for part two, it's a long story to tell, like how you can get into research and to build a career in here is amazing. Yeah, because you're able to do the career advice, but you're also able to advise the site owners, site director like myself, like how to man. I picked up a new thing. I'm going to have my coordinator, each one, pick a study. If they start complaining, I'm going to tell them to watch this interview <laughs> and say, go blame her. Go message her on LinkedIn <laughs> that you're complaining. Yeah. <laughs> right. Go message Vanessa. It's her fault. <laughs> okay, guys, oh like, subscribe, comment, share. Thank you so much, Vanessa. I really appreciate it. Um, it's inspirational and it's good to have people like you in this industry. So thank you. Thanks to you. And thanks everybody in there that is watching us. Bye bye, guys. Go follow her. <laughs>